You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. Man, does that not fire you up? Make you want to go? Well, good morning. I hope, you know, it's great to be with you this morning to open up God's word with you this morning. Uh, Kirk already said this, but, but you know by now we, we have a big missions focus this past weekend. Uh, yesterday, we've already talked about it, but we had a great serve day. We had many of you went out and served our communities. Thank you for those that went out. Uh, but you also, as you came in this morning, uh, you saw a large display out in the lobby. Today is, again, we calling it Go Sunday. In the video you just watched, that's one of our new partnerships. His name is Jack Divin. And he is planting your church, Y-O-U-R Church. This is just one of the many places that we'll be going this year. And so here's what I want to challenge you uh, this morning is when we get done here, I, I really challenge you to go out to the lobby and get the information because it has all of our 24 mission trip opportunity where we will be going to Las Vegas, but we'll also go into a lot of places in the next year. So please Go by there, get a pamphlet that has all the dates on there, and I really want you to pray with your family about where maybe God's calling you to go this year. And as we sit here this morning and we talk about Go Sunday, uh, the question comes, um, why do we go? Have you ever wondered that? Why do we go? I mean, think about this. Why do we set aside lots of money for missions work all over the world? Why do we develop church planning partnerships like Las Vegas all over the world? Why do we have serve days? Why do we equip and encourage you to live on mission where you live, work, and play? Why do we revitalize and replant churches like Old Town and potentially the new one, Valley View? Why do we plan mission trips every year all over the world? Why do we challenge you and encourage you to go on mission trips? And why do we pray and hope that God would raise up people from this church to be sent all over the world for the sake of the gospel. Why do we go? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. If you have your Bibles, go with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 5. And as we look at this chapter this morning, I want us to see two reasons why we go. Here's the first one. We go because Jesus is alive and he is on the throne. We go because Jesus is alive and he is on the throne. Look at the first seven verses here. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. One of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion, the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. 
I want to give you a little history of the book of Revelation. Uh, during this time, as John's writing this, the gospel was spreading. It was spreading like wildfire uh, all over the region. But the same time that it was spreading like wildfire, persecution was also coming upon the Christians. John is exiled to the island of Patmos, where he is given this vision. And he gets this vision. It's a scene from heaven. As he sees this vision, this is what he sees the first thing he sees is these angels and they're looking for someone to open up these scrolls. And it seems that they cannot find anyone in this moment to open up these scrolls. And but John begins to weep. Imagine that picture. John is just weeping because no one is worthy to open up the scrolls. And so what are these scrolls? Well, that's for another sermon for another day. But basically, to sum these scrolls up, if they are not opened, all the promises of the Bible are not true and will not come to be. Vern Poitras says this, The destiny of John, of the church, and of the universe itself hangs in the balance over the question of whether someone can open the scroll. William Henderson says this, If the scroll is not opened, it means that there will be no protection for God's children in the hours of bitter trial no judgments upon a persecuting world, no ultimate triumph for believers, no new heaven and earth, and no future inheritance. Basically, church, if these scrolls are not open, there is no hope in this world. Now, when you think about that, you understand why John is weeping. Danny Aiken says this, For a brief moment, the survey of heaven reveals no one possesses the merit to approach God Take the scroll and usher in the eschaton. Not Abraham, Moses, Joshua, Caleb, not Elijah, not Elijah, not Jeremiah, not Ezekiel or Daniel, not James, Peter, or even Paul. Not even an angel or an even archangel. A universe search is made. No one seems to be worthy. Heaven has a problem. But watch what happens. Look in verse 5. Just as John, again, is weeping, this person, this elder, comes to him and he says, don't worry. The lion, the tribe of Judah, the root of David, is here and he is worthy and can open the scroll. Verse 6, he sees a lamb who is slain. So what is this lion, tribe of Judah, the root of David, the slain lamb, what do all these have in common? They all point to one person, Jesus. In Genesis 3.15, after Adam and Eve sinned against God and they brought sin into the world, God comes and he promises him that one day he will send a Savior who will come. In Genesis 49, we see the Bible tells us that the Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah. In Isaiah 11, we see the Bible tells us the Messiah would come from the line of David. And then John 1, John the Baptist, he sees Jesus and he says, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, these verses, they're revealing to us that Jesus is the Messiah who God promised us in Genesis 3, 15. Notice as John sees this vision of the slain lamb, look how he describes him. In verse 6, he was standing this points to Jesus' resurrection. 
Verse 5, he conquered. The Greek word, nakeho, which means Jesus is victorious. He's triumphed. He has prevailed over sin and death and his enemies through his death and his resurrection. Verse 6, he has seven horns. Horns is a symbol of power. And seven is a symbol for completion. So Jesus has complete power and complete rule. And in verse 7, he takes the scroll from the right hand of God, which means Jesus has all control and authority. Philippians 2, Paul tells us that after Jesus died on the cross, he rose from the dead, and the Father exalted him and made him King of kings and Lord of lords. What this slain lamb shows us who is standing here, who takes the scroll, reveals that Jesus, who died on the cross, did not stay dead, but he rose from the grave, proving he is the Messiah that did atone for our sins. And because he is worthy to take and open the scroll, reveals that he has all authority and on the throne, ruling the world. James Hamilton, Jim Hamilton says this, Jesus is the central figure in the history of humanity. He is without question the most important person who has ever lived. He is the king, he is the Lord, he is the way, the truth, and the life, and he has taken the scroll. Jesus controls your destiny, he controls the destiny of every individual on the planet. See, here's the truth this morning, church. See, if Jesus had come and claimed to be the Messiah and died and is still dead today, then we, he would have been like any other false prophet who ever claimed to be the Messiah, and we have no hope. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that if the resurrection did not happen, then we have no hope, we are still in our sin, and we are to be the most pitied people in the world if Jesus is dead, then we are out in the world preaching a false gospel that has no power to save. But, this is a beautiful but. If Jesus did come, and we know he did, and he did claim to be the Messiah, and we know he did, and if he died, and we know he did, and if he did not stay dead, but he rose from the grave and is on the throne today, and we know that he is, this changes everything. First, if Jesus is alive and on the throne, then we must believe every word of Scripture. We must believe that we are all born, lost, dead in our sin, condemned, separated from God. We must believe that the only way that we can be saved is through the gospel of Jesus by putting our faith in Jesus and surrendering our lives to him. And we must also believe that those who do not put their faith in Jesus will spend eternity in hell away from the presence of God of God. Second, if Jesus is alive and on the throne, then we have hope. When we look at the evil and the wickedness and the craziness in this world, we know that Jesus is in control and all things will work out according to his plan. And one day we know that he's coming back and he will destroy the wicked. He will gather his people and we will be with him in his kingdom forever. See, this is the point and the purpose of the book of Revelation. God, I believe, gave us this book to give us hope that as we look out in this evil and crazy and wicked world, God says to us, don't worry, don't panic, keep going. I got this. Everything is going to be okay. 
How can I know that? Because my son, the Savior, Jesus is alive. He's on the throne and he has all authority. So yes, everything will be okay. I love Tim Keller. Tim Keller says this, if Jesus died and three days later walked out of the grave, everything will be okay. That's the truth. Here's the third one. If Jesus is alive and on the throne, we have a message and we have a mission. Jesus gives us this mission in Matthew 28, says this, uh, the Great Commission, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, so go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always until the end of the age." Mr. Ken wanted me to make sure I told you that this is a mandate. This is a commandment by Christ. This is not a suggestion. It is a commandment that we must be obedient to as his disciples. So as the disciples, as they, as they read this, as they knew this, why, did they, why were they willing to die to get the gospel? Because they saw the risen Jesus, they believed he was the true Messiah, and they knew the only way people can be saved is through the blood of Jesus. And this caused them to have a great passion and a desire to get this message to the world that desperately needs to hear the gospel. Nothing would stand in their way. No amount of suffering and persecution was going to stand in their way. This is the reason why people like Bloody Moon and Adoniram Judson and William Carey, John Patton, Jim Elliott, many others, they went because they believed in the gospel. They experienced the gospel and they knew the only way people can be saved is through, again, the blood of Jesus. And they knew they needed to take this gospel to those who needed to hear it and nothing was going to stop them from going. They were willing to risk anything and everything, including their lives, to get the gospel to those who needed to hear it. I had a, recently had a lunch with a missionary couple who's praying that God's going to send them to a hard place, to an unreached people place. They know it's going to be hard. They know that they may suffer. They know that they will be persecuted. They know that they may lose their life. But what they told me was they didn't care because they knew the only way people will be saved is if they take the gospel to them. Church, we have a message of hope and salvation and we must have a passion and a desire to take this message of hope and salvation to a world that needs to hear it because the scripture tells us that if people don't hear, they will not believe and they will not be saved and they will go to hell forever. That's why we go to preach the gospel so they can hear the gospel and believe the gospel and be saved. And church, we must be willing to sacrifice our time, our money, and even our lives for the sake of the gospel. But I want to ask you a question this morning. What if we do not go? You ever ask that question? What if we do not go? See, if we do not go, people will not hear, they will not believe, and they will not be saved. And they, I believe, according to scripture, they will spend eternity in hell. So when it comes to the the mission that God has given us, not only is gospel at stake, not only is heaven at stake, but hell is at stake. I want you to do me a favor. Hold your finger here. Go over to Luke 16, verses 19 through 31. As you're making your way there, I'll just kind of set it up for you. There's this story in, in, in chapter 19 here in these verses, and it's of Lazarus and this rich man. They both die. 
The Lazarus goes, it looks like what it seems to be is heaven. And this rich man goes to what seems to be hell. And as, there, and as we get this image, it says here in verse 24, look at verse 24 of chapter 16 in Luke. It says this, and he called out to the father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am anguish in this flame. Now just imagine, think about this image of this man who is in hell and he is burning and he is in anguish. This image should stick to our minds, it sticks to our hearts, that when we think about the gospel, the truth is those who deny Jesus, those who never hear about Jesus, will one day spend eternity in this place. I want to be real with you this morning. It's one thing for me to tell you this. It's one thing for Pastor Mac or other people to tell you this. But listen to this. It's another thing when someone from hell tells you this. Look at verses 26 through 28. I'm going to sum this up for you. This man, he's sitting there. He realizes that he can never leave. He can never leave this horrible place. And so what does he do? He looks up and he begs Abraham, please send people to my family. Tell them the truth so that they don't have to come to this horrible place. Imagine that, people in hell telling Valleydale Church to go and take the gospel so my friends and my families can hear it and not be here with me. Church, this image, this story, this thing should really wake us up. And as you think about this story, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to think about this story, and now I want you to think about people in your life, your family, your friends, your coworker, your neighbors, Think about three billion people who are unreached, which means they have never heard the name of Jesus. David Platt says this, they only know enough about God to condemn them to hell. Think about these people. Put them in your memory because if these people do not believe in the gospel of Jesus, they will spend eternity in hell away from his presence. Is that what we want? Church, this should scare us. It should motivate us to have a passion and a desire to get the gospel to a lost and dying world. Because if Jesus is alive and he is on the throne, we have a message and a mission of hope that the world needs to hear. Here's the fourth one. If Jesus is alive and on the throne, the church cannot be stopped. In Matthew 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says this. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. What Jesus is telling us here is that he will build his kingdom, and Satan and hell and the wicked world cannot stop it. We've seen this all through the history of the church, through the Bible, and even even up until today. As persecution comes on God's people, what happens? The gospel flourishes. The world cannot stop the gospel. The kingdom of God will continue. The wicked world cannot stop the church and the spread of the gospel. The world can hate us. The world can mock us and they can persecute us, but they cannot stop us because they cannot stop the gospel because they cannot stop Jesus. Here's the second reason that we go. We go because Jesus deserves and desires our worship. We go because Jesus deserves and he desires our worship. Look at verses 8 through 14. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures 
and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people from God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. Notice what's going on here. Is this, we see this image as these people, these elders, these, as they see Jesus as a slain lamb, he taking the scroll. Notice what they do. They start to sing. They start to pray. Look at verse 9. Worthy are you to take the scrolls and opens its seals. Your blood has ransomed people from all tribes, peoples, and nations, and languages. Verse 12. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. And then verse 14, I love this. It says that they all bowed down and worshiped. Imagine if you were there witnessing this. That all of heaven, as they see the slain lamb take the scroll, revealing that there is hope that Jesus is alive and he's on the throne. As they see this, they respond with prayer, singing. Ultimately, they respond in awe and worship. Richard Phillips says this, what a picture this presents of the church's worship. See, the truth is because of what Jesus has done through his death on the cross, he has redeemed people from every tongue, nation, and peoples, and he deserves their worship, and he deserves our worship. Philippians 2.10, Paul says this, so that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And this let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. You know, one of the, my favorite missions book I've ever read is by John Piper. And it's called Let the Nations Be Glad. I want you to listen to what Piper says about worship. He says this, Missions exist because worship does not. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity. But worship abides forever. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and goal of missions. See, we see this all through Scripture, that God desires and deserves for the nations to praise and worship Him. Psalm 67.3 says this, Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all 
the peoples praise you. Psalm 86, 9, all the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. In Revelation 7, 9 and 10, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. Think about this morning. You have the nations coming together this morning. You have Valleydale and you have Iglesia worshiping and singing together. This is a beautiful picture of Revelation 7. Is it not beautiful? Church, if Jesus came and he died on the cross for our sins and he rose from the dead and he is alive and he's on the throne, does he not deserve our worship? If Jesus is the only one who can save us, satisfy us, give us true peace and hope, then, he, then should he not deserve our worship? Does he not deserve the worship of the world? Church, this is how much Jesus loves the world and desires the world to worship him. He loves and desires the world to know him so much that he came and he died on the cross to save the world, to redeem the world so that the world can know him and have a relationship with him and worship him. Jesus desires and loves the world so much to know him and worship him that he commands and he sends out his people with his presence and his power through the Spirit, to take the gospel so that they can, people can hear the gospel, believe the gospel, be saved, be reconciled back to God so they can worship Him. And the truth is, church, if Jesus has this much love and desire for the nations to know Him and worship Him, should we not have this same desire that he has and be obedient to go and take the gospel to a lost and dying world so they can know him, experience him, and worship him. If the gospel is so good, then don't we want others to experience it? If Jesus is so good, don't we want others to experience him? You know, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is the woman at the well. And in that story, if you've ever studied or read it, after she understands and experiences Jesus, and she knows Jesus, she knows who he is, and she understands what true worship is, it says in that moment that she dropped everything and she ran as fast as she could into her village. Now, she had avoided this village, but she didn't care at this point. She ran to them and she told them, you need to come see this man named Jesus. See, what this, woman, what this woman is showing us is this. This woman's life was changed so radically by Jesus that she ran in there and she said, this man right here, Jesus, he changed my life. And he can change yours too. This is what the gospel should do to us. When we experience the goodness of the gospel, it should drive in us a passion and a desire to share this good news with others so they can experience the good news of the gospel as well. We should be able to go to the world and say, you need to see this man, Jesus, because he changed my life and he can change yours too. Amen. You know, you ever watched a great movie? I'm talking about a really good movie. Or maybe you've ate something really good 
What do we normally do when that happens? We call four or five people, right? Hey, you got to go watch this movie. It was awesome. Or you got to go have this food, right? Hey, you know what? I'll actually even take you there and let you watch a movie. It's so good. And we do that for things in this world. But here's the truth. If the gospel is the greatest news in the world, should we not have a passion and a desire to take this gospel to people and say, you need to experience the greatest thing in the world, which is the gospel of Jesus. Is the gospel worth it? Is Jesus worth it? Does he deserve our worship? Does he deserve the worship of the world? Here's the answer. If the answer is yes, what are we going to do about it? Are we going to sit around and do nothing? Are we going to get up and go out of here and go to our city and our nations and the world with the gospel of Jesus? See, my challenge for you, I challenged the last service. My challenge for you this morning is to leave here, go out into that lobby. Let's fill up these trips this year and take the gospel to a world that desperately needs the gospel. See, the truth is, this is a command. God's calling us to do this. Our only response is to be obedient and to go. What are we going to do about it, church? Is the gospel worth it? You know, I want to close with this. Have you ever watched dog racing? You know, where they chase the little fake rabbit around? You know what happens if they ever catch it? They never race the same again. They never race the same again. Why? Because if they ever catch it, they know they've been deceived. This is a fake rabbit, and it can never give them the joy and the satisfaction that they were expecting. This thing they had been chasing all this time was not what they were looking and longing for. See, the truth is, church, when we experience Jesus, you will never be or live the same again. When you experience Jesus, nothing else can ever compare because nothing else can give you what only Jesus can. When you experience Jesus, you truly know you have found what you're looking for. You know, I love Augustine. Augustine says this, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. See, church, this is why we go. See, we go because we know that Jesus is the only one who can truly save us. He's the only one who can rescue us from our sins. We go because we know that only Jesus can give us true satisfaction, true joy, peace, and hope. We go, church, because there is a lost world out there that is looking for true joy, peace, hope, and salvation. And we know what they're looking for. And we know where they can find it. And his name is Jesus. Church, this is why we go. Is the gospel worth it? Is Jesus Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.